0: today on CityCast Denver. It's nearly the end of another year, and although we've seen a lot of restaurants close in 2022, there are still so many delicious and unique places to eat out in Denver, and some really exciting new places too. So to celebrate this year in Denver dining, I'm talking to Westward's food editor, Molly Martin, who just published her annual list of 100 Denver restaurants we can't live without. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Molly Martin, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you.
1: Always fun to be here.
0: <laughs> so, Molly, um, you put together a list of the 100 best restaurants here in the Denver Metro. But I have to ask, do you have a
1: number one? Oh, I will stop you right there because it's not (laughs) the best restaurants. It is the hundred restaurants we can't live without in the next year. Up for interpretation, whether you take that as the best. (laughs) Um, I I think about that a lot when I'm putting it together. Um, But as for your do I have another one question, uh, the the straight answer is no.
0: (laughs) There's not one
1: that like like because for me, I
0: don't have one because they knocked it down. It was called Racine's. But oh. like you don't have one that's like your you have to have it every week or every month
1: or I mean, I wish I could frequent anywhere that much. Um, I will the the probably my go-tos that are on the list that will probably never come off the list as long as I am in charge of it, um, are El Taco de Mexico and Sam's number three. In in my world, I could never live without those. So we have a tried and true
0: Mexican food place and a diner. Yeah.
1: Highbrow. Yeah, which is why, which is why, <laughs> which is why best is a, is a hard term to use. You know, when you think of yeah. like, I'll use 5280 as an example. Their well. best restaurants list has been traditionally fine dining. Um, they changed it up a little bit this year, which I love. But, you know, when you're talking about best restaurant and the difference between a restaurant I can't live without, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, yeah, high class food that's going to impress every gourmet one of your friends. It's these are just places we really love that we want to see stick around.
0: I think that's an important distinction. I'm I'm glad you're making that because it, it, that this list is so comprehensive in that respect like you've got fine dining you've got you know like sort of celebrity chef driven but you also have what people would call a hole in the wall or the strip mall restaurants and right um so how i guess that's my next question is how do you put together a list like this like what goes into putting together or figuring out our hundred favorite restaurants we can't live without
1: yeah, it's definitely a process. So I, um, inherited the list last year was my first year doing it. So I inherited the one that had been done by Mark Antonation, um, who kept it up, you know, for his seven year stint as the food and drink editor at Westward. Um, and our typical goal is to have about 30 to 40% turnover on the list year over year. Um, so you're not completely starting from scratch. So I, I inherited a list of 100. I think last year, we ended up replacing about 40 of those. Um, and it was about the same this year. Um, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about um, wanting to get a good cross section of price points, location, cuisines. Um, so I for this one, thankfully had the entire year leading up to it with this on my mind after doing the first one. So I kept notes all year long, um, places that I came across that were really impressive to me, whether they were new or old. Um, so that when I went in this year, I had that whole year's worth of experience to work off of. And, and then you wake up the day it goes out and you go, Oh, shoot, I, I forgot. forgot this. <laughs> That's
0: the worst feeling about any list that you're like, it's not definitive, but it's kind of definitive. And I right. forgot my favorite Whatever you know, right?
1: I, I already have a list of twelve places that I've written down for next year that I <laughs> so, already working ahead. <laughs> so okay, you you've
0: said this is a, an
1: arduous task.
0: Is mm-hmm. were there any big surprises for you this year?
1: I mean, I put a few on that I think are a little less expected. I'm looking right now because of two bakeries on there. Um, Bakery Four and Bon and Butter. But for me, they kind of step above and beyond what just a bakery is. You know, they're also doing savory foods. They're doing a lot of really fun specials. They have a lot of interesting plans for what they have coming up in the next year. So I thought those two were notable. Um, kind of breaking out of what you might think of a traditional restaurant being sure um yeah and then I, I went a little lowbrow with some of them just because they're places I would be sad to cl- see clothes like bourbon Grill on Colfax is a good example you know I don't know that anyone would hold that up as like a beacon of culinary <laughs> achievement but it's it's again one of those staples that if if it was gone I think a lot of people would be sad and so I wanted to give it that boost this year especially coming off a year where we lost so many of these kind of um more like hole in the wall lower yeah. price point staples well
0: and bourbon grill is like it's a lot of food you get a right. good you know you get your money's worth but it's really good you know right like noodles and chicken and fried rice it's just such a cool and great combination i think that's a great example of like yeah something you might not think of on a list like this yeah Switching gears, how about a restaurant that you didn't include that you felt was overhyped or maybe there was something that you kind of had to fight with others about? Like, I don't think this is the best, but other people love it.
1: Um this is good. This is hard to answer cuz I'd love this place. Um so so I mean I've nothing but kind words about it. But Tavernetta I took off this year. Okay. Um they're such a heavy hitter on the scene. We have Frasca is on the list in that same group. Um and Sunday Vinyl was on the list of the 100 bars we can't live without which came out Thanksgiving week. Um but Tavernetta after dining there a few times this year for for me what i love about it most is popping in for happy hour and so just in the name of making room on the list for some other new additions or some smaller names um i I did take them off this year i
0: get that no i think sometimes we have to give give those give those places that we know are guaranteed bangers off the list so that other folks can have room to be discovered right by your right, readers right um so if we're looking at we're gonna look at like fine dining versus divy what's what's the best like top tippy
1: top fine diningist restaurant that made the list this year I put a couple of the older school places, Oak at 14th, I put in there, which has been doing its thing in Boulder for a long time, and as, as well as Karaita, which I just think are, are both really so on point. Three Saints Revival was a, was a, it was on my top 10 new restaurants list last year. Um, especially being attached to a hotel, I think the kind of food they're doing is really fun. It's a Mediterranean tapas, but like really colorful, simple, but super bold flavors. I love what they're doing over there. Um, and the Wolf's Tailor is Kelly Whitaker's group and what they're doing with their grain company, Dry Storage, and how they're kind of incorporating this bigger take on food systems and local food systems and using their restaurants like the Wolf's Tailor as kind of a... A lab if you will for proving out their theories of how you can build stronger local food systems um, combined with the fact that their food is just gorgeous um, and delicious i think they're a, a standout in fine dining too for me
0: and on the other end of that what's like the best
1: diveiest spot that made the list i love blazing chicken shack they're like soul food you could drive by the place a million times and maybe not notice it, one of those kind of places. But man, they do some great soul food. What else would be on the dive? Oh, it's, it's, I wouldn't even call it divey, but it's a diner hits the spot. Um, yeah. you know, we've lost a lot of those old school diners. Um, and they are not, you know, by age as, as old as the ones that we lost, but they really carry on that tradition of a great diner. Um, really, really quality food and just super friendly staff, a fun place to go. Yeah. That's great. That's
0: a West Colfax spot. I love it. I agree. I think it's been overlooked because we kind of had so many diners for a long time. And now that there's sort of a dearth of them, we're really holding on tight to the good
1: ones that still exist. Oh, I'm looking at I'm looking at one I got to give one more shout out to is one that is near my house in my neighborhood that I actually hadn't walked into until this past year. Um Poppies. Oh my god. Which I think has been there around 15, 17 years, something like that. And um Oh, longer than that. It's so fun. <laughs> it's just <laughs> the most fun place to go. Like bartender banter always on point. I always talk to strangers. I always sit at the bar. It's so fun. <laughs> Poppies
0: is like probably one of my top five
1: favorite restaurants of all time. Yeah. It's awesome. like I it's like
0: an, I call it an eighties steakhouse in a strip mall.
1: Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of like um like not like Vegas but like off the strip like you would yes. wander into a place and it's just so dark and like you don't really know what time it is or how long you've been there. <laughs> oh but it's like if you want a really good prime rib with mashed potatoes and veggies and a salad, it's
0: your spot. Yeah. It's the best. Yep. So speaking of that, sort of neighborhoods, do you think that there was any neighborhood that sort of took a big step up in terms of quality of restaurants this year?
1: You know, we've seen a lot of places opening in the suburbs, which I'm enjoying. Um, we got Mama Lolita's on here, um, which opened in Broomfield, um, kind of a elevated Mexican. Um, and then we have Stone Cellar Bistro, which opened in Arvada. Um, i think i think that kind of trend of seeing these more fine dining places open in independently owned fine dining places open in the suburbs is an interesting trend. Part of it goes back to costs being high to, to be able to open in downtown Denver, but I also think it's it's a great um, benefit for the for people living in the suburbs that they have these options. There's a lot. There's always complaints. All there is in the suburbs is um, chains. chains. I hear that a lot. Um, so so these kind of things and and local people doing things like that in those areas, I think, is a, a great trend.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. I think about my in-laws live in Littleton, and like we go to this restaurant. I think it's called the Lake House, and it like used to be an Outback. Yep. Station house or something (laughs) and now it's this awesome local restaurant and then across the street there's like 303 sports bar which used to be a joe's crab shack like there is that changeover where new new restaurants coming in are local or at least independent and Mm -hmm. i think you're making a good point too like people live in the burbs and they want to go out to eat too you know right
1: Yeah. And they don't want to have to go super far to do it. Um, And so it's great that that's happening. So you have a food hall on your list, Denver Central Market. Um, But this year also
0: like saw the end of Broadway Market and Zeppelin stations going through some restructuring. What do you think? Where are we with the state of food halls?
1: Yeah, food halls is an interesting trend, right? It really blew up. Um, and they're still opening. There's a new one, Morrison May actually opening just a few minutes from Red Rocks, um, this weekend, I believe is its grand opening. Um, so they're still happening and I think they can work in the right neighborhood with the right mix. But I I mean, I think the trend is kind of starting to slow down. And I think you're seeing some of the holes in how it works with, you know, Zeppelin station going through its kind of trials and tribulations right now and um it's interesting because we have a mix of them right you have like an avanti which is like a food incubator which i love the idea of um but i don't know if their concepts really change out as much as as it was presented when it opened that it would, you know. Sure. I love Denver Central Market because I think it's such the right fit for that neighborhood. But yeah, I went like I went to Silverthorne for a food hall opening this year. So that trend has already made its way to the mountains. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's spreading. Um. So I don't think it's going to stop, but it has seemed to slow a bit.
0: Yeah. I'm also just thinking about like Mango House, I would say, is my favorite food hall that's not talked about as a food hall, right? And one of their restaurants was on your list, Urban Burma, right? which is incredible. And I think the thing that's cool is like a lot of these spaces were utilizing old buildings that just weren't effective for what they originally were built for. But I don't know, maybe we are coming to a saturation point where it's like, we got enough. So you have celebrity chef, oh, I'm gonna maybe mess this up. Celebrity chef Ludo Lafif on your <laughs> list as a famous fan of Biker Jim's hot dogs, which is cool, but conspicuously absent from your list is his restaurant, <laughs> Shea Maggie. Not a yes. not a fan, Molly.
1: <laughs> um I I, I like Shea Maggie. I've been twice. Um I don't dislike it. It to me Hotel restaurants, I feel like are a thing that went through a big change in the last few years. There's so many standout ones to me, like Three Saints Revival, like Apple Blossom, which is on this list that you walk into and it doesn't feel like a hotel restaurant, right? You're still kind of tra- fully transported to the restaurant experience. Um, Shea Maggie to me still feels very much like a hotel restaurant. And, and for me, that takes a bit away from it. Also, as far as, you know, that consideration of restaurants we can't live without. Could I live if Shea Maggie closed? Would I mourn its loss? I don't think so. Are they doing good food? Yeah, you know, yes. I, I think Ludo is a talented chef. Um I love his passion for um for that restaurant and for Denver. Um and maybe in a couple years it it grows on me or grows on the city <laughs> to a point where it's a it's a place I couldn't live without. <laughs>
0: Do you think Denver like doesn't really care about the celebrity chef or like what do you think the role of the celebrity chef is in a restaurant scene like Denver's?
1: I I would say that's pretty accurate that Denver doesn't seem to care about celebrity <laughs> chef names. To the point that when Ludo was opening that restaurant and I was speaking to friends about it, I think only one person even recognized his name and even they weren't their interest wasn't really piqued by it. And these are people who know who are in the food scene. Yeah. Um so, yeah, it just doesn't seem to be a thing. I mean, I think other names like Paul Riley behind Apple Blossom resonate more like these people who have been a part of our community, who people got to know through a neighborhood place like and Bottle, like we, people care to follow what what he's doing as opposed to you know, a big name, you know, coming in. On the other hand, I do think it's a great sign for the Denver dining scene that these big name people see Denver as a viable market. Well, and I like you brought a beast in bottle, which sadly
0: has been demolished, but you can still go to a restaurant that is, you know, that's brought to you by the same folks that did that and maybe have a similar experience that you maybe are missing from your old spot. Right. Yep. So- this is a comprehensive look. I know this is like kind of looking back at the year, thinking about everything that's happened in terms of the the restaurant scene, openings, closings. And I just, I'm thinking about the future. And I'm wondering if you see any trends
1: coming or things that you hope Denver gets. Yeah. I mean, an unfortunate trend is that there does seem to be a lot more of these, um, out of state chains coming. Um, that's not slowing down anytime soon. Um, but the counteraction to that is, the people in our hospitality industry still seem really motivated um, to want to make it happen. Like so many of our openings this year were people who worked for other people for a really long time and just were ready to do their own thing and really take the reins. I think Bodega on the list is a good example of that. And so I hope to see more of that. These people who have been working their way through the ranks of other people's restaurants in town ready to really step out and show their creativity.
0: It was funny, I looked, I was like so skeptical of something called bodega. And then I looked yeah. it up and I
1: was like, okay. <laughs> right, he's not taking it lightly. Although he's still, he told me when, before he opened, he was promised a chopped cheese special. Cause I was like, you can't be named bodega and not do a chopped cheese, <laughs> even though it's not a Denver thing. But I haven't seen the special yet. <laughs> well Molly Martin, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, I love talking restaurants with you guys anytime. <laughs>
0: And here's what else Denverites are talking about, the site of the old Park Hill golf course. In a 10-3 vote Monday night, City Council approved the current owner's plan to develop the 155-acre site, with only Council Members Paul Cashman, Amanda Sawyer, and Candy Seidabaka opposed. The plan includes more than 100 acres of public parkland and a mix of housing and commercial construction. Many Park Hill residents have opposed the development project for years, and thanks to their efforts, the proposal will have to clear some more hurdles before the developer can break ground. Specifically, if it passes a few more procedural votes in City Council, the whole city will have a vote on the site's future in April, 2023. And finally, good news for police oversight. The Citizen Oversight Committee has selected a new independent monitor. Lizbeth perez Castle will take on the role almost two years after our last police watchdog departed if City Council approves her nomination. According to the Denver Post, Castle worked for 12 years as a public defender here in Colorado before moving to private practice. She plans to fight for increased funding for the Independent Monitor's Office, greater transparency within law enforcement, and more community engagement. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Ludo Lefebvre about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. The plan includes more than 100 acres of public parkland, a mix of housing and commercial construction, and even pollinator gardens thanks to a partnership with the Butterfly Pavilion. (laughs) Sorry. And even pollinator gardens thanks to a partnership with the Butterfly (laughs) (laughs) Pavilion. Why can't I say Butterfly Pavilion? And even pollinator gardens thanks to a partnership with the Butterfly (laughs) (laughs) Pavilion. Jeez. Okay, okay and even pollinator gardens thanks to a partnership with the Butterfly Pavilion. Okay, it's out. It's gone.